So, Mark, a few weeks ago, preached a message that was just called Love Devotion. And he started the message out with, what makes someone a great Christian? And we all agreed that it was someone that loves God wholeheartedly. And that message went on, and it went to talk about being, just acting out in that love that we have for our Christ, for our Savior. Um, And... Those of you who were there, here that night, I was pumped up. I was excited. And as as Mark was giving the word, I, I was actually in charge of the huddle that night. And I just felt God saying, stir up the men. Stir up the men. Get, get, excited, get them excited about their purpose, about why we're here, about this awesome journey that we get to walk together. And so I was like, all right, what do you want me to do, God? And he's like, I want you to jump around. I want you to jump around and act as if you're leading an NFL huddle into a big game. And I was like, all right. And so after Mark uh, closed the service, I turned to Kendra and I'm like, I'm about to do something embarrassing. <laughs> and, and just to prepare her. Um, and, I, and I did go over to the side and I started jumping around. I'm like, we've got a purpose. We've got something to be excited about. And I, I was ready to go out that week and just live my life for him. And then last week, Andy, uh, God gave Andy a message, again, on love, on how to love others unconditionally, and love being an action. And again, I'm like, I've got this. This is, this is our purpose, to, to live out our life in love for Jesus. But if I'm being honest, which is normally encouraged when you're preaching, uh, we, we have this awesome church, awesome service on Saturday, and we get pumped up, and then life happens, and we go out into our lives, and, you know, work happens, and school happens, and the kids need to be taken here, and the kids need to be taken there, and before you know it, that fire, that passion, that, you know, desire to be pumped up for our Lord and, and live out that love for Him kind of gets squashed a little bit. And so the purpose of the message that the Lord's given me tonight is really to encourage us as a body to live out our love for our Savior in our everyday lives. And I'm going to start asking a very broad question. And that question is just, why are we here? Why are we here? You know, Mark asked the question, what makes a good Christian? But even taking a step back, why, why are we here? You could probably preach multiple messages on that question alone. But I just wanted to read a quick passage from the message in Matthew. And the reason I chose the the message is this is, it's just eloquent, it's cool, and it really, well, answers directly the question, why are we here? It says, let me, this is Jesus talking, it says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there, on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. 
Kendra suggests I should just read that passage and just say, that's it. That's good. That is good. And again, it gets me all fired up. That's what we're here for. It's simply laid out. Jesus simply told us, this is our purpose. This is our purpose. And the end of that, that passage in the message, just shine. God is not a secret to be kept, guys. God is not a secret to be kept. We're supposed to be living out our life just exemplifying the love that He has for us. So again, I get I get fired up. I get fired up. This passage fires me up. And it, it, I'm humbled by the fact that our Creator, the Creator of the universe, saw me, saw you, and said, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to have relationship with you. I'm going to trust you to bring out everything that I created the world to be. I'm giving you that responsibility. That's humbling. That is awesome. It also convicts me. Am I being bold enough? Am I shining enough? Am I truly doing what I need to do to be bold for Him? Or am I subconsciously, or maybe consciously, keeping Him hidden? Am I more comfortable keeping Him a few layers deep, not letting Him shine out in what we do in our everyday lives? So, I want to spend a little bit of time on this this light and salt example. Um, Just again to kind of give us this base about the fact that we are here for a purpose. I I know many of you. I've done church with many of you for quite a long while. And I feel like over the last couple years, we have matured immensely as a church. God has created a foundation of mature believers to really grow this church and go out and affect Erie. He has done that. And so I don't want to spend tons of time on this because I know that you all know we have a purpose here on this earth, right? But as a newsflash, that should not come as a surprise to anybody, darkness tries to take out the light. And we're dealing with a world that is getting more and more desensitized to what our Lord wants to do. And so, therefore, the day-to-day, the week-to-week that we go through, there's stuff that's going to come in between us and God. So I really was searching for what what can we do as Christians? What can we do in our daily lives to really make sure that we are actually living out that light, the salt in our everyday life? So that's what we're going to talk about. And I first want to talk about the two different interpretations of salt. So looking at the salt and light example, I read the the passage out of the, the message uh, interpretation or the version and it talks about the taste, right? But back in the day, salt was used pretty much equally for two things. One, refrigerator, refrigerators hadn't been invented yet and so therefore salt was used as something to preserve meat, keep meat fresh. And that salt had to be pure. That salt had to be you know, coarse. It had to be perfect for that meat. And looking at the uh, the Greek word for salt in this passage, it's moreno, and it says of salt that has lost its strength and flavor. Note strength and flavor. So again, salt was used to cure meats, and the problem is, is that when salt that is used to cure meats, once it is mixed 
with impurities of any kind, it spoils that meat. The the meat goes rotten. And it loses its effectiveness. And not only that, it needs to be thrown in the trash. And this was interesting. Did some research on salt because that's the you know really most awesome subject there is. Um, salt, if it if it goes bad, you can't throw it in the compost. You have to throw it in the garbage. Salt has no usefulness once it's gone bad. None. If you throw it in the compost, it will ruin your compost. So it's it's one of those things that once salt has gone bad, it goes bad. <laughs> there's there's no way you can go and and use it again. And so. For us as Christians, if we become assimilated to non-Christians and contaminated by the impurities of this world, we lose our influence. We lose our ability to keep what God has created on this earth. We lose that ability. It's so important that we are distinguishable and memorable to those who are around us. So, I'm talking about salt and talking about meat and therefore it's time for a food analogy because that's just the you know what what happens from that those two things so uh, a few weeks ago actually probably a couple months ago Kendra and I tried out the uh, new noodles and company in Lafayette um, if anyone here works at that noodles company in Lafayette come see me after the service I'm not trying to disparage your store but I do have I have to use an example, and and this is um, I had a bad experience. So Kendra and I went in, ordered our food, and Noodles and Company is not your fine dining establishment. It's you know it, they do cook your food when you order it, but you expect it within a decent amount of time and expect it to taste good. And we went in, we waited about 25 minutes for our food. We're getting frustrated. It's that right there is souring us on this on this experience, right? And then the food comes, and it is bland. It is bland. They didn't use enough sauces on any of our dishes. I mean, the kids scarf their mac and cheese, but they don't have good taste buds yet. <laughs> so Kendra and I, we we I mean, we bar- we didn't even finish our our dishes, and we left dissatisfied. And we have not gone to Noodles and Company since. And I use that example because we oftentimes we have that one shot to show what Christianity is all about. We have that one opportunity to shine and show I've got the joy of my Savior in me that's flowing through me, and because of Him, I have a purpose. And I'm smiling, I'm, I'm excited about life because I have my Savior. What if we come to that you know, situation where maybe you're negative at work, maybe you're yelling at your kids, maybe whatever it may be, and someone sees and learns that you are a Christian and they have that experience with you. They're like, you know what? I tried that. I ran into that person. I'm not going to do that again. I, I, it's going to take a long time for me to consider Christianity again because, I mean, if that's what it's all about, I don't want a part of that. So just like Noodles and Company had an opportunity to, again, distinguish themselves and continue to be a restaurant that we go to and love and are interested in, we too have the same awesome responsibility and opportunity to shine for our Father when the opportunity presents itself. Alright. So, I hope we're all kind of understanding our purpose. And again, 
We've talked about purpose quite a bit here. But if you need more convincing, I'm going to give you one more passage. Um, What's in it for you? What's in it for you? In Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And here it is. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The creator of the universe has a good and pleasing and perfect will for your life, for my life. I hope that's enough for you. I hope that that is enough that you're like, okay, you know what? That sounds pretty great. I I should probably see what that's all about because I, again, it gets me, it gets me pumped up. It gets me passionate because God throws those promises out in the Bible all over the place about what he has for us when we draw close to him. So when you're studying how to be bold for Jesus, when you're studying how to be bold for him in your everyday life, a study of being bold will lead you to Paul. And I want to talk about him for a little bit because Paul, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Paul wrote pretty much half the New Testament. He wrote many books in the New Testament. He was a persecutor of Christians. Uh, he was Saul then. And then, Je- and, and then God came to him in a vision and blinded him and said that Paul had a different purpose. And from then on, Paul was planting churches. Paul went around all the Mediterranean, Mediterranean area just preaching the good news of Jesus. And um, so I, I think of him that way, as this awesome man of God who was kind of on this Jesus tour, more or less going around the the nations and planting churches and preaching the good word. But something cool that God brought me to is at the end of Acts, Paul was also a tent maker. Paul worked. So at the end of Acts, it says, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. So I did some digging about at his own expense, and it's thought that Paul went back to full-time work. He went back to making tents full-time. And then when the opportunity arose, when someone came into his house, when someone came, he put it aside and preached the good word and let them know about Jesus. Just like you, just like me. We sometimes discredit ourselves that we can't preach the word, that we can't bring the good news of Jesus. I'm busy. I I work 50 hours a week. So where am I supposed to fit that in exactly? And we we think that Paul is the, I mean, he's an awesome example of just a godly man, but he was also human. He was like you and me. And then he went back and he he worked. So it's it's not just the job of, full-time ministry to bring the good news of Jesus. Paul's the example. He worked, and then when he had the opportunity, he took the opportunity. And then the last part of the verse, I love. 
It says, and no one tried to stop him. So why is, why is that important? Think about the time. So Luke, who wrote Acts, he was writing about all of the apostles and their, their dealings and their um, ministry after Jesus left. And then he also talked about Paul. But this is immediately after Jesus was crucified. And a lot of Jews were still very angry at the fact that there were these group of people who were preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And they had the threat of death hanging over them. They had the threat of, you know what? If I preach the good news, there's a decent chance that someone is going to try and kill me. So saying, and no one tried to stop him. It's important. And as a segue from that, what do we have to deal with? What are we dealing with? Are we dealing with someone killing us because we are a Christian? We deal with maybe a disapproving glance. Maybe we don't get invited to that party because, well, there's that weird Christian guy. Um, so just check your heart for a second because I was checking mine over the last few weeks. What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? What are we afraid of? So I just love that. No one tried to stop him because he's fallen out the purpose of Jesus. The other part of this mess, this, these verses, there's tons in these two verses. It's awesome. Uh, you look in the Greek, and there's uh, two passages. So Parasius, or Metapasis Parasius, I apologize about the pronunciation, which means with all boldness, so that's where that bold part comes from, and the adverb akalutos, which means without hindrance. So this passage talks about speech which is candid, clear, and confident. And that's how we're supposed to talk about Jesus. Candid, clear, and confidently. All right, so... We need to be doing that. (laughs) We need to be talking about Jesus. And it's not the type of talk where we go around and stand on a pedestal and you know, yell at people who are walking by saying that they're going to hell. It's building relationship and understanding that you care about them. You know, Andy spoke last week and gave just a really eloquent, beautiful, just like um, almost a script, you know, don't make it a script, but just saying about how, hey, I love you. And because of that, I need to let you know that you're on a you're on a path that leads to destruction, and here's why. And and just opening up your heart with somebody. All right, so that's the that's the prologue. Now I can start my message. We're we're good. All right, so I'm coming around to where I really feel God wants us to soak in what Paul wrote in multiple letters of his. Because, again, Paul, I mean, all of his letters are super awesome. But when you look into many of his letters, there's a common thread that he talks about over and over and over and over again that I think helps us understand how to be bold for him. So let's read through. I'm going to read through four passages really quick. And I think you'll probably get the the, uh, hint of what's these common threads are. So in Ephesians 6, 18-20, it says, 
pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers and for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Colossians 4, 2 through 4, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Philippians 4, 6-7 Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and mind and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-17, it says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Any guesses <laughs> about what the common thread is there? Um, I can't say this strongly enough. We have to stop giving Satan entrance into this church, into our lives, into our marriages, into our parenting. Because of a lack of prayer. We have to stop that. I mean, the words are pretty clear here. I mean, it says, never stop praying. Pray about everything. So that means when you're in line at Subway and you're like, wheat, white, Lord, let's do this. And I jest, but that, pray about everything. I mean, that that's something. Um, so we uh, recently we've been using this this commentary for the New Testament called The Bible Speaks Today uh, it, just in studying uh, and I'd encourage anyone to get this this commentary it's wonderful and it's, it really digs in deep into um, just all the New Testament so it had a fantastic quote around that Colossians uh, piece that I read, it says, it is in a prayerless church that the enemy can best do his work of disruption. So it's not by accident that we as a church have put much more emphasis on prayer. Because we're going into a season that's been prophesied over us of a new building. We're entering into our five-year anniversary service, which is going to be all about speaking vision about what God wants to do with this church. We have the Holy Spirit series coming up that's all about diving into the goodness that the Holy Spirit has for us. None of that's going to be effective if we're not a prayerful church. It won't. And I can't tell you, I can't tell you exactly how to pray. You know, Jesus, of course, gave an example, you know, about how to pray and just being sure to give praise to Him for just supplying our most basic of needs. But 
you know, as the New Testament goes on, as Paul talks about prayer, it's it's praying about everything and having those those one-on-one conversations with him all the time. And it can be in your audible words. It can be in your mind. It can be in your prayer language. We talk about you know the Holy Spirit, and there's angst sometimes around talking about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit gives us the prayer language so we can have direct conversation with Him. And we, there's no way, shape, or form we should be ashamed of that prayer language. It should be something we embrace. So, we have prayer. We have prayer impact on Wednesday. Mark didn't uh, didn't talk about it in the announcements, but we have prayer impact on Wednesday. And let's fill the place on Wednesdays, not just on prayer impact, but every prayer night. When you can't make it, let's let's be devoted to praying anyway. Let's just make that Wednesday night. Just you know, I've got time set aside. I must. I I, I just got to have some Jesus time. I got to have some time praying with my Savior. I have a. Um, I tell the the ripple effect all the time. We take we take prayer requests every time we have youth group, and we'll often pray for a lot of them on the spot. But I every day at noon have a reminder that goes off that says pray for youth, and I just take five or ten minutes and just ask God, Lord, who do you want me to pray for, Lord? You know, who do you want me to pray for? And I'll you know randomly just hear, okay, Zoe, you know, and I just pray blessing over her and. That she would just feel God's love, etc., and and that's I think that's pretty important. Like if you need to set a reminder in your phone to like take a break from your day, do that. Because all of these things, all the things that we have vision for as a church, as a people, and living out our lives in active love for our Savior. Prayer is that thing that's going to make sure that we're actually executing that. So yeah, let's let's pack the house on Wednesday. Um, I, I I'm excited about it. Last time I was there, it was absolutely fantastic. So, um, I don't see Brian in here, but that's okay. Um, the other thing I want to note about this whole section about prayer is that Paul again. This warrior for Christ, this warrior for Jesus. There he is. Hi. <laughs> Could you come up, please? Sorry, thank you. Um, Paul, I'm going to start that over. Uh, Paul was an awesome warrior for Christ, and he asked for prayer all the time. He asked for prayer all the time. He understood how hard it was to maintain that light to maintain that saltiness. He knew that he needed prayer. So every time he wrote a letter to you know, Ephesus or Thessalonica or whatever it may be, he was saying, please, pray for us. We can't be so pride, prideful or proud that we don't do that as a church. If we're going through stuff, reach out to someone. Pray with them. If you've got something to praise him about, reach out to someone, praise with them. But Paul, I mean, I look up to him uh, probably more so than most in the Bible because of what work he did for Jesus. The love that he lived out for Jesus. And he was vulnerable. He understood that he needed that prayer. He needed that support. So pray 
constantly. Pray for others. Take the opportunity when you need prayer to ask for it. Um, I just want to live out my, my love for Christ in my daily life. And I know from everything that we talked about today, just kind of putting the building blocks together, I know logically what my purpose is, right? I know logically that my purpose is to be that salt, be that light. It was commissioned to us. What I struggle with is just keeping that fire going. It's not saying that every single day of the week you've got to be jumping around and acting like you're leading an NFL huddle into a big game. It means being prayerful, being in communion with Him constantly, praying your life out. I can't, I can't convict you or give you details on what you need to do personally to figure out exactly what steps you need to take in your life when it comes to just living out that love for Jesus. But He does. He knows exactly how it needs to be lived out. So if we aren't talking to Him, we're missing out on the, the purpose that He has specifically for your life. I've been excited about this message. And the reason for that is I really, truly feel that we're going into a really cool season as a church. A really cool season. One that's full of of growth and full of miracles. Full of prophecy. Full of God doing everything He promised to do in His Word. But Paul understood how important it was to stay prayerful, to keep that line of communication open. So I can't, I can't hammer that home any more than I am. Um, it's between you and him. But I just hope that you understand how powerful prayer is. So I want to leave with a really cool psalm, and it's cool. I. I I, this is something that he added today. I thought that message was good to go, but as I was like finishing up, I just felt him say, look at David. Look at David. Look at another one of my warriors in the Bible. So I just want you to um, hear Psalm 16. And um, yeah, just make it your own. But just hear the words that David cried out to his Savior. So in Psalm 16, it says, Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the name of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead, 
or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. I love that. That's so cool. I, I mean, it, it covers off on you know all the boxes that we're talking about today. But it's just putting Him first and thanking Him for the protection that He has over us. And saying that I'm going to abide in you. Even in my sleep, my soul rests because I get to be with you. 